watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to talk about three movies, T2 Trainspotting, Life, and Wilson. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being the highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life's too short for that mess. Jason, what has been up with you in this week that I haven't seen you? Well, thank you for asking. Um, so I had sort of an, uh, an impromptu bachelor weekend this past weekend, oh. um, but under horrible circumstances, oh. uh, wherein my, my husband was abruptly called back home to deal with a pretty tough family situation. And um, and so I was like, and I was very, it was, you know, it was a very dark thing and, and I felt very emotional about it. And if you're wondering how I spent my first night that he was unexpectedly not home with me, it was going to a boy strip club show <laughs> and then drinking all night with a friend and watching a horror movie. Wow. So I really regressed pretty quickly. Immediately. Um, to be fair, the show is not exactly a strip club show. It's called Baloney. It's a really, really rad um, sort of like gay male burlesque Fantasia review um, over wow. at Oasis. It's very like it's it's, it's it's very high concept. It's a series of sort of like. Um, sketches and scenarios that play with various, you know, gay male fantasy, fantasies and archetypes. And it's it's a pretty cool thing. Scott and I had planned to go together. It's not like I was mm, like, oh, no, yeah. Scott's family is in trouble. Well, You're guess, like, I open guess, up the phone know, book, look up strip clubs. Yeah, just and look, look up, like, like dongs. <laughs> like, just, like, use, like, dong finder um, and find whatever show has dongs. So that didn't happen. Um, but I did go see Baloney, and I did stick around and drink. <laughs> and I did run into a friend, and I did, like, say, like, let's drink some more and go watch a movie in my place. <laughs> the old man's away. Um, you know, I ain't got to ask him for shit. <laughs> Man, so. So same thing happened to me. Shasta left um, for a weekend. That night, I spent all night up at the end up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I came home two days later. <laughs> like a Like a wet cat, just, like shuffling in the house unshowered yes yeah, so you're like and you and you know what that looks like you know you're, exactly yeah. what that looks like oh you oh you do yeah. because i came to your house yes i do know what that looks like as well <laughs> uh looked rough yeah i just <laughs> knocking on doors and you were the first person that answered it was not only a wet but also a feral and very tired cat <laughs> uh but uh but yeah that was so i didn't i i still came home <laughs> Well, kudos to you. So yeah, so I, I, I'm still more of a wimp than Rebecca when it comes to to, to tying one on for a weekend. Apparently, <laughs> don't test me. <laughs> Do not. Do not test me. She will come out on top, um, or or but under the table, wherever the case may be, <laughs> on top under the table, that which is where you go if you're on top in this particular arena. Um, and then yeah, the next day I just spent the whole day around um, drag around Peaches Christ, mm-hmm. friend of the show, uh, was doing uh, the world premiere of her new parody of Legally Blonde called Legally Black, starring Bob the Drag Queen, the winner of the last season of RuPaul's Drag Race of season eight. And uh, we were there, I was there with some delegates from the film critics circle because we were presenting an award to him and we did it after the world premiere matinee performance. And uh, it was a great moment and uh, we had a lot of fun with it. The show was hilarious and it is going on the road, especially if you happen to live in Portland or Seattle, the show is coming to you in April. So definitely go out and see that. 
And uh, then I had another high school friend come and stay with me that night. <laughs> you are just like the home of wayward ex-Pittsburghians. Another high school friend stayed with me that night. And uh, and we went out to another drag show because um, two, because at that point I'd seen two in one day. Two was not enough. I needed a third. And that was the day after you saw the male burlesque yeah, show. Yeah, so I went back to the exact same venue where I'd seen the male burlesque show to see uh, Sharon Needles, a previous winner of RuPaul's Drag Race, um, perform at Mother, the weekly party that Eglina does there. So... Uh, and then Sunday night, I was at our, our oh, um, so uh, another friend of the show, a, a woman whose voice you all hear every week, but, every week. but don't feel like you really know probably, um, is uh, our friend Tawny Kendall. Tawny Brendel. Tawny Brendel is, uh, she and her husband are cutting and running. They are quit, they've quit their jobs <laughs> and doing a year abroad traveling around. And she's, uh, she is the, the female voice you hear singing our theme song at she the beginning is. and end of the show. And uh, dear, dear friend to to both of us, Rebecca more than me because I don't have a matching tattoo with Tani, but that Rebecca, is true. But Rebecca does. We are um, so bonded a, in ink. That's a bonding. That's a kind of bondage that I don't uh, share with her. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, but yeah. So she had her final solo show in San Francisco before uh, hitting the road. So a really great show. Great show. Rebecca and I were there together, and then Rebecca just had some light vandalism yeah. while we were at the show. <laughs> Someone broke my car window, and Jason stayed with me and made sure that we didn't figure out it was him. <laughs> yes, and also that if anyone was going to get shot, it was going to be me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's such a big, huge, lumpy guy pacing back and forth in front of a car <laughs> in the dark. You just look guilty by default. I do. It's my resting face. It's it my baseline. Is. Huh? Ooh, what? Mm. Me? Uh. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, can, you know, don't you? That's anytime I'm looking at anybody, what I'm thinking is, you know, don't you? And there's a list of things that we could know. Oh, my God. How you it's eat. Literally endless. <laughs> yeah, one. exactly. That's I only... caught you twice in the past two weeks eating when you weren't expecting me. Well, you weren't like immediately <laughs> expecting me. And you just, you're like hunched over. It's like you were in the military and where you have to like eat really fast before yeah. they make you go run up a hill or something. I always say it's like a group in the depression. Yes. And you yes. like a lot of siblings. Yes. And, you know, you just need to eat your shit real quick or else everyone's going to come gunning for it. And it's it's not just the speed. It's the body language. It's mm-hmm. very, you're, oh. you hover in a protective way. Oh, yeah. It's I very mean, weird. And I'm also and very funny. ashamed. I hate eating in front of people. Oh. Because of, the, I don't know why. <laughs> Strange, some strange kind of tick I picked up along the way. Maybe we could practice. Let's go out to eat <laughs> after this, and we'll sit. We'll make sure our backs touch the back of the chair, and we'll like make make sure we can't finish our meals before like forty minutes. Scott has tried. He is like he'll be like utensils. Uh, <laughs> I'm like I don't need them. <laughs> He's like you do though because you're in public. <laughs> Um, so, uh, but yeah, uh, that is, that is true. Rebecca did catch me, uh, once more embarrassingly than the other. Uh, but both times I was just sitting in a movie theater that served food, hunched over it, just sh- shoving it in my mouth as quickly as I possibly could. I haven't tasted food in years. <laughs> just not why I'm interested in food. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so that was, uh, that was Sunday night and, uh, and, uh, we, we bid, uh, Tawny, a fond farewell. Uh, she's not quite gone yet because she's actually going to be shacking up with Rebecca here for uh, mm-hmm. for for her final um, few days before she hits her international tour of the world. Uh, but uh, but you know we will continue honoring her in her absence while using her song that she so generously recorded for us. Yeah, love it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, what's up with you? Um, it's been kind of a crazy week. Um, but one of the more unexpected things that's happened this week is that. Um, ordered one of those extraction kits from the internet have you seen those an extraction oh, kit i don't know if you would like this or not uh and i didn't think i would but it's uh it's like a little box and it has all these little tools that are supposed to help you get out like blackheads and things oh basically like it's like it looks like a little hook so it's like a long metal 
um, pen like object at the end is like a, almost like a loop, a metal loop. And then you like put it over the problem areas and you push gently and then it's supposed to extract the um, dirt and filth from within your pores. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So at first I didn't think I was going to be into it. And then I'm one of those people that like cannot be around a magnifying mirror because I will just sit there all day long and be like, my face is covered in hair. <laughs> and then try to pluck my eyeballs. Basically. <laughs> yeah, come out. It's a miracle I can come see. Out. Exactly. I guess need to, if I could only just pull these out of my head for a few minutes, I'd be able to just do so much work on the hair around my eyes. My like, goddamn um, eyeballs are always getting in the way. It's so, so, so sensitive much. and delicate. Um, so yeah, so, uh, what, what happened is that I used it a little too aggressively and now I have like, oh, no. I'm, I generally don't break out. Um, but now I am, a, I look like a teenage, I look like a teenager. I'm just like, I have, it's, these things are terrible. They shouldn't be messed with. I was wondering if you're like, you're like, but now, and you turn around and it's like stuck to the back of your head. <laughs> you can't pull it out because then the bleeding won't stop. <laughs> Just leave it. Yeah, it's like this is just the new normal. And, we're gonna go out uh, to dinner after this. Me with a, with a knife in my neck, and you hunched over a meal. <laughs> Quite a pair we make. <laughs> Quite a pair we make. Um, you know, and I, I I felt like you were like leading at some kind of joke at my expense when you're like, oh, it's this thing you can use to get all the dirt and filth out from under a surface. And, uh, <laughs> no, you, you just come come branching at my brain. That's why you look so guilty again when I. Yeah, you know, I'm just like, what do you know? You know, don't you? No, I don't. <laughs> Um, so, but, so does it, is the kind of thing where it makes it worse before it gets better? You know, that's what people keep saying, but I think it's just a bad idea. <laughs> I think things like, should be left I alone. Say, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> then I say, look at this chin. <laughs> I, I'm happy looking at that chin. Oh gosh. It's like full of, it's terrible. And it's it very strange. You know, what you did is you tried to play God and now you've found out what happens when you try to play God. Uh, that, that may be true. <laughs> that may be true. This, this put the fear of God into you. Turn this is what it took an, extra, an extraction kit. It's like, well, here's your, the thing. I've been an atheist for 30-some years. Right. But... This one day I tried, my hair was, my face was too full of hair, you see. <laughs> <laughs> it's really an evolutionary you ever, period. You ever do that thing where you just look in a mirror and you're like, my face is so much hair on it. That's Everywhere. What, that's what led to my conversion. Oh, man. It's just like well, my just hairline like, goes right to my eyebrows it's, it's the weirdest thing but whatever well you know that's you know and that's that's probably you know that is what it is you know i think it, it, that is what it is i'm like i'm not gonna say it's a good thing no, <laughs> no I, I can't imagine your face I mean, being to get framed this hairline i have to pluck for years well i need to show you some hairlines of a real housewife in new jersey named Teresa judice then you will see a is hairline. this an italian thing yes i am italian yes um, but, but that's not I'm, I'm, then you will see a hairline that will make you grateful for yours because I think your forehead is a completely proportional size for your face thank you you're welcome thank you and you don't eat like a monster <laughs> <laughs> it was especially bad she saw me doing this before we watched Raw <laughs> I was thinking there was like an entire pizza yeah. that was the Alamo Draft House served, and I was like, "Oh, it's like a personal pan pizza." And you're like, "It's just a pizza. <laughs> it's just a regular you're small like, pizza." You're like, "Don't try to sell it by making it seem like it's something." I'm like, "No, it's like a large personal pan." And you're like, "No, no, it is not. It is not meant to just serve one person. It's an entire pizza." It's not something you want from book book it. <laughs> no. I mean, like book it. Okay. Brief aside on that, so I used to do book it religiously. Of course, me too. We love pizza and reading. Yes. It was like the best. Maybe that's why I love pizza so much. I mean, like, do you feel like you are have accomplished something when you eat pizza? Because that used to be how I felt. I'm like, if yeah. I'm having pizza, that means it's, like, it's, like, a, it's yes. like a reward because I just like I read 10 books or whatever and I got the little stars in the pen. I feel like when I get pizza now, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing something right where I like arranged this moment to eat pizza and I can afford to buy it. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, I do feel. That's good. That's good. Or... <laughs> 
we just always like pizza and that's right. how I, now we like reading well here's the thing though um here is the way i ordered personal pan pizza when i back when i did book it i would order a uh, a sausage personal pan pizza with no sauce and no cheese what so it was quite literally just a crust with some sausage crumbles on it. And I was like, this is delicious. Wow. That's... They, they came to know me, the local Pizza Hut, <laughs> because of my book it preference. Because it took me a long time to like just the texture of melted it's just cheese. It's like the, their little handwriting text. It's like one small little gay boy. <laughs> Table three. Little, little cocksucker. <laughs> Table three. <laughs> Didn't need to specify which table. <laughs> yeah. They knew me. Hanging out by the jukebox playing Dolly Parton. (laughs) They just heard me lisping away. Uh, It was easy to spot. Um, But so that's my own weird, shameful history with pizza. Interesting. And I just want to disclose it for all of you now. Yeah, no, thank you. Do you feel feel better? You know, I actually feel worse. Great. Okay, then let's talk about movies. Okay. Uh, The first movie of the week is T2 Train Spotting, which is our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick of the week. First there was an opportunity, then there was a betrayal. Twenty years have gone by. Much has changed, but just as much remains the same. Mark Retton returns to the only place he can ever call home, and they're waiting for him, Spud, Sick Boy, and Begbie. Other old friends are waiting too. Sorrow, loss, joy, vengeance, hatred, friendship, love, longing, fear, regret, dimorphine, self-destruction, and mortal danger. And they're all lined up to welcome him, ready to join the dance. You're an addict. So be addicted. Just be addicted to something else. Choose the ones you love. Choose your future. Choose life. So Train Spotting was a pretty big movie for our generation, I for would sure, say. Yeah. Um, I was I think I was like 16 when it came out. Um, and I did see it, but I did not get into the whole cult following of it. I was definitely mm-hmm. around, you know, it was that time where it was in everybody's college dorm, the poster, right, yeah. and there were just like the diehard into it, and that kind of freaked me out, so yeah. I sort what did, of what abandoned did you, what it. What did you make of those people? Um, you know, I don't know. What do you, <laughs> they scared me. <laughs> what do you think they gelled to so much about train spotting? Um, the idea, like, I think it was kind of a first... Uh, time people of like the people that were like our peers were seeing kind of people do whatever they want and act kind of crazy but it also had this like really new and modern like visual style yeah um so it felt really fresh and new and different and like perfect for being a young person yeah yeah no i think that was a huge part of it uh i think that is yeah i think you touched on it i think it's the combination of it being this thing that people haven't at that point certainly our generation weren't seeing tons of movies out from made from outside the states Mm -hmm. so we have this sort of like indie movie coming in from the uk from scotland um and uh and and danny boyle this was his second film after shallow grave Mm -hmm. and he just burst out of the gate with this coursing sort of pulsating energy and, you know, the, watching the train spotting, you were like, I have not seen this before. No. You know, and then I saw Go, and I was like, this is my version of train spotting. <laughs> You're like, give me Go any day. <laughs> no, I mean, Go, I, I will admit I'd rather watch Go. <laughs> I would rather watch Go. It's like train spotting light. It is. It is. You know, it's, it's just so fun. And, mm-hmm. and Melissa McCarthy's in it. 
I don't even remember that. Yeah, she plays... I haven't watched it in probably like 15 years. She plays the roommate um, of the hairdresser who the gay soap opera actors go to like avenge. We should watch that sometime. Oh my God, I love it so much. Okay, go ahead. Anyway. Um, So, I agree with you on that. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was like, there was a time in the mid 90s where these movies would just kind of like explode where you're like, nothing's been done like this before, whether it be like Pulp Fiction, whether Mm -hmm. it be Trainspotting, whether it be Boogie Nights. Mm-hmm. You know, movies that were just like, they just had this life, this vitality to them that just felt just, un, you know, unprecedented. And so I think that Transplanting was one of those movies. And I think it, you know, I think people, it was, it also makes me think of what you said when we first watched L, which is, I wish I was still young enough I could just appreciate something because it was fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I think, you know, Trainspotting, watching it again, I watched it again a few years ago because I actually, Joshua asked me to, um, to like guest lecture a, a class he was teaching about cult films and about... And I Trainspotting was a movie I had to do. And so revisiting it, I was like, God, this movie is so fucking dark. Mm. Like, I knew mm-hmm. it was about, obviously, like, I'd seen it before, and I knew it was about heroin addiction and everything. But, like, I had forgotten just how excruciating it gets, you know? Like, yeah. there's some... Like, the withdrawal scenes. The withdrawal scenes, the the baby that dies. Right. Um, you know, like, just, yeah. there's, yeah, there's a lot of fucked up shit. And so it has that, you know, and that's the thing about Trainspotting is that it kind of... You know, it, it starts you off feeling like it's like this like this fun, wicked, decadent, modern thing. And then it kind of gradually reveals like mm-hmm. beneath that what, you know, the actual sort of sadness and the reality of, of addiction. And we watch the character Tommy, who is the one who dies in the first mm-hmm. movie, but who seems like the healthiest yeah, he was the like beginning. the beginning. He was like, he was like, like the athlete. soccer player yeah. or football player. Um, and, uh, and he, you know, dies. And uh, so... But I think that, you know, people just like it, but also it was Britpop. It was, it was, mm, it was, soundtrack it was, was amazing. oh my God. I mean, so, and it was, it was cool Britannia, you know, it was very much like part of like, it was on the same time the Spice Girls were, were coming out, honestly. <laughs> Which they had a real big crossover. Real big crossover. Uh, you know, I remember when they had back-to-back McDonald's meals for those two movies. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so it, it, it was of a moment. And, mm. uh, and I guess there's actually a whole thing. Um, Oasis you know, was big. And Oasis was huge. And back in Scotland, there's something that's thought and it's called like the transponding generation of people who sort of grew up watching that movie and but whose lives have really just like they lost a generation to like opiate use. And really? To, yeah, so um, so it's a whole thing. And um, and so I, I always appreciate the movie. I don't know that anybody was really asking for a sequel to it. Right. Let alone one that shares a, 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 an acronym abbreviation with um, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, <laughs> which also was called T2 for short. Mm hmm. Um, but here we are. We have it. We, yeah, we, so we have a sequel to Train Spotting. It's it happened. It could have gone. It could go so poorly. Mm-hmm. I mean, we already know it's the pick of the week, so it didn't. Um, how could this? Why? How you, they, you? They're picking up the story twenty years later. Nothing mm-hmm. sort of has changed outside of like what reality, real, realistically would change in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, does is the story still as interesting? Does it have the same energy? No and no. Okay. Um, but it's still a really good movie. Uh, you know, because you, you can't really top a movie like the first one. You know, it'd mm-hmm. be very difficult to. So what you have here is a sort of, you know, just sort of like a melancholy companion film to it. You know, it does not, it does right by the first movie. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't tarnish its legacy or its reputation mm-hmm. in any way. Um, but it also, you know, but it's, yeah, which is as good as you could have asked for, really. Like, it doesn't embarrass itself, mm-hmm. you know, because they get back the whole cast. You know, everybody comes back. Danny Boyle directs again, and um, and Danny Boyle since making this movie, he was already, of course, you know, he was a remarkable electrifying filmmaker when he made the first one. In the decades since, he has learned a huge bag of tricks, <laughs> lots of bells and whistles. Yeah. Um, technically speaking, 
um, that he brings to the second film. And, um, you know, I mean, he's, he's also now he's an Oscar winning director, you know, he won the Oscar for directing Slumdog. Um, so, so he brings that fairly judiciously, maybe occasionally distractingly that, that sort of love of technical innovation, technological innovation. He brings that to bear in this film. The movie is definitely like peak nineties nostalgia, Mm -hmm. um, because our, our entry point is Mark Renton. Um, Ewan McGregor's character, who as the film begins, is literally returning for the very first time since he left in 1996. Oh, wow. Because at the end of the first film, and this is, so, okay, this movie is really just, I would say it's just for fans of the first movie. I really don't think there's much value for it for, like, new audiences, Mm -hmm. because it does not really go out of its way to, like, catch you up on what happened. Okay. And so even though I watched the first movie fairly recently, even I, like, it took me a few minutes to be like, so what is the, why, why is the, why is everyone so, oh, oh, that's right. Because at the uh, end of the first film, he took the money. They did a drug deal and he took the money and he left. And he left a few, he left some money behind for Spud. Mm-hmm. But then he just took off. So this is him going back for the very first time to this place that he used to live in. And wanting to sort of find everyone and make amends so not everyone because he doesn't want to find begbie because mm-hmm. begbie's in jail Begbie's in prison um but he wants to find sick boy and spud and sort of like patch things up because he as we find out has kind of like hit the life he was building for himself in amsterdam which is where he's been living has kind of fallen apart and now he's like well now i'm just gonna come back and find my boys and you know see what they're up to and you know it's very rocky at first but they gradually get into a groove with each other and you know come up with another sort of like harebrained illegal scheme to try to um, to try to pursue so we have you mcgregor mm-hmm. and we have um johnny lee miller yes oh i'm sorry go on <laughs> oh he's so handsome what I, what a what an odd career arc i know right after hackers and everything he was he was, he was it he was the first mr jolie he was and then he sort of disappeared i know well, well but he has that elementary show what is it elementary the, is it sh- the sherlock show the show with him and lucy Liu. Oh, I don't know what that is. Oh, yeah. It's like a long-running um, drama on like CBS or something. So, no idea. So he's got that He's got that network TV money. Oh, okay. He's uh, he's pulling a uh, Gunther? He is. He is. Him and Gunther were both on Forbes Top 10, <laughs> richest broadcast TV actors last year, I think. This year, we'll see. But um, Top Bleach Blonde. Top Bleach Blonde. Network actors. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So he's back in it. Um, is it uh, Richard Carlyle? Robert Carlyle Robert plays Carlyle. Begbie. Um, Owen Bremner uh, mm-hmm. plays Spud, and then we have brief appearances from Kelly McDonald, who played the uh, the young the underage girl that Mark sleeps mm-hmm. with in the first movie, which I will always remember fondly as the scene where we first glimpsed the natural majesty that is Ewan McGregor's dong, <laughs> which has since become much more plain to us in a number of films, mm-hmm. and which is one of life's great pleasures. Um, we do see it kind of in this movie. There's a scene where him and Johnny Lee Miller are running, um, naked through a field, having been robbed of their clothes. And you better believe that I made that noise in the theater when I realized that Johnny Lee Miller was there no. as well. I was like, Ooh. um, oh because I don't think he's ever done nudity. So I was like, oh my God, it's happening. You know, something that I've wanted <laughs> since 1993. <laughs> 1993. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. So yeah, it's very, very wild. And even though it's like a pretty long shot, you can still see like that dong flopping conspicuously around while he's running. So it was it was well. A, there's that. It was a good day for me. Um, is so, there still the, is there the similar chemistry there now that everyone's back? Oh uh, yeah, I think they 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 do kind of you know they they do they do fall back into their chemistry. I think it's it's Ian McGregor almost struggles the most just because he as a character looks the most 
Hmm. I mean, he was playing the straight guy kind of in the first movie, mm-hmm. but he was so like wild eyed mm-hmm. and, and just skinny and pale and crazy that like he still came across, even though he was playing the straight guy, as being this sort of like wild child. And this and here he's just a grown here, man. Here he's just a guy in his mid forties. Um, and then you realize that there's not there's not much personality to the character of Mark. Mm. Like Sick Boy and Spud and Begbie all have very very clearly delineated personalities. Mark not so much. Mm-hmm. So speaking of Begbie, this is one part of the movie that strained credulity for me a little bit. So Begbie, as the film begins, is in prison. And then he decides he wants to get out. And so he has a, he, he, get, he has an injury that he stages that will put him in a hospital. So he's in the hospital bed. And he has, like, his guard there. And the guard's like, you know, Begbie's like, oh, I've got to go number two. And the guard's like, okay, let's go. And Begbie's like, oh, come on. Let me have some privacy. What do you think I'm going to do? I, I have all these, you know, tubes in me in the hospital. And the guard is like, well, okay. And I was like, well, mm. what? <laughs> no. <laughs> right. No. No guard would do that. And so he just, like, the guard, like, he, they wouldn't even go back and forth that much. The guard, like, just caves. And he's like, all right. And he just, like, goes outside. Begbie, of course, naturally rips all the tubes out and then, you know, goes out into the hallway. He goes into a fairly crowded hallway. A doctor walks up to him and is like, oh, oh excuse me, sir. You know, are you okay? Can I help you? And Begbie goes, yeah, yeah, I can. And then he headbutts him. And again, fairly in crowded hospital. hallway. Uh, and then just drags the body like, out, of, out of frame. And then he emerges wearing the doctor's clothes. Oh. He then returns it's to... like a video game. He then returns to his family's home. So he gets out of the hospital goes to his family's home where his wife has been raising his son. His son is like 18 now, has a good head on his shoulders, um, has, uh, is about to go get a degree in, in hotel management. And, um, and Baby comes back and is in a, in a just a raging nightmare. Baby is such a frightening character, has always mm-hmm. been an extremely frightening character. Talk about you know toxic masculinity. We didn't have that term mm-hmm. when this movie first came around, but I mean, he's such a classic example. And I don't remember if they had this be part of his character arc the first time, but this time a lot is made of the fact that he is also impotent. Oh, I um, remember that. Yeah, I don't remember if that was part of the first movie. Um, so, but uh, but yeah, so just the family, his you know his 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 wife and son welcome him back and like don't call the cops, but also are just sitting there looking petrified of him at like every waking moment. It's like why wouldn't they just so right and, right, the, and right. the Bigby thing is the only real conflict in the movie because when Bigby finds out that Mark is back in town, he is like I'm going to murder him, mm-hmm. and so then the whole thing is just like sort of a chase. Um, with everybody like on the run from Begbie, um, trying to you know stay one step ahead of him so he doesn't find Mark and just literally physically murder him with his bare hands. So is the is a chase? Um, is it exciting? What what makes you pick this as a pick of the week? What's the the charm? Is mm-hmm. it the excitement? Is it the is it the humor? Yeah, I mean, it has a lot of the personality of the first movie, even if it doesn't rise to the same sort of like virtuosic height. I mean, that was such a fresh blast. You know, you can't repeat that. But it does the it does the best possible job it could um, continuing it, and it did it, you know it made me feel things. It made mm-hmm. me feel you know like anybody who has nostalgia for the '90s and for the like bygone youth of the '90s <laughs> will 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 feel things watching this movie because we're you know we're watching this person quite literally go back to the place they lived in the '90s for the first time since then. And, and you love that. I do love that. You love that so much. I do. And um, and also, it uh, it really artfully uses um, clips from the original, where, like, Mark will be, like, walking down a street, and then you'll see, like, they digitally insert, like, him running from, like, the intro to the first oh, movie, like, running on the other side of the street. And it, it, it does a good job of showing how they're sort of haunted by their youth. 
um, because rather than play any of the obvious musical cues from the first movie, all those iconic songs, Mm -hmm. it plays these like disembodied, deconstructed fragments of them. Oh, interesting. Like, or it'll start to like, there's a scene where you think you're going to hear Lust for Life and Mark's back in his like childhood bedroom and he like drops a needle on the record and you just hear like, and then he just like lifts the needle back up and then he just like can't listen to it. So you actually never even hear Lust for Life in its normal form in this entire movie. Hmm. Um, and so you have you know, snippets of that, snippets of Lou Reed's Perfect Day, um, snippets of Brian Eno's um, Clear Blue Day, snippets of Born Slippy by um, Underworld, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, all those all those cues, uh, but all just played in this to sort of just like create this this mood, which it does very very well. So directing is really where this movie shines. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, um, and there's also a lot of clever things for fans where they um, they will sort of like recreate shots from the original. Um, or have these little lines of dialogue that are like Easter eggs for people who really remember details about the first movie. And uh, so I think this movie, it, you know, we've had this such a weird rash of like late, long overdue sequels that no one really asked for. Mm-hmm. And I think of that batch, this is one of the best ones um, because it it does not embarrass the first movie. It continues the thread of the first movie admirably. Was it necessary? No, we didn't need to see what would happen. Like, you know, like it was the first movie did end with a bit of a cliffhanger, you know, with mm-hmm. with with Renton leaving them all behind. Um, and, you know, and it made the the choose life thing took on a different meaning because he had gone from the beginning of the movie saying it in like a sarcastic way. Right. You know, life has no that nothing matters. Oh, yeah. Choose life. Life's bullshit. You know, it paralleled it dovetailed nicely with Fiona Apple's VMA speech. <laughs> this world is bullshit. <laughs> Um, but then at the end, when he's saying choose life, he means it in a much more real life and death way. Because mm-hmm. now he has stared death in the face. And he is choosing life by choosing to literally live rather than die. And to do that, he has to cut cut himself off from these people. Uh, so but in this, so that was a great ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you didn't need to see him go back. Right. Um, but of all the ways they could have told a whole story about Mark going back, this is probably uh, um, the best it could have turned out. Although it does also have just one side. <laughs> of, like, it wouldn't be an episode if we didn't also shout out some like Vulture think piece. And um, <clears throat> this week, Vulture did a, a think piece on how Trainspotting 2 um, commits the new cardinal sin of having its characters rail against social media. Oh, yeah. That was so, in the trailer. Yeah. Mark has his new his new choose life uh, speech uh, is, is, is done in a... You know, he's like, you know, choose Facebook, choose Twitter. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, what is this, Wilson? <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, but it's just so boring. Yeah. Any movie that's like, you know, just doing this like just lowest common denominator, cranky technophobia, it's just so fucking boring. Mm-hmm. Just fucking stop it. Like, just, it's not going away. Yeah, it's not. It's better to be clever about it. I think actually the... The person who wrote the Vulture Thing piece pointed to Birdman as a as a, mm. a movie that was clever about it because Emma Stone when she's fighting with Michael Keaton, her father is like, you know, you make fun of all these things, you know, but like you're you know you're the one who doesn't exist and mm. you know you're irrelevant and you know whatever. So there there's more more clever ways that you can engage social media without just having the usual fucking like social media is ruining our society. Especially when you like call them out by name, it just feels like it's it it's like one of something that you know is going to be dated when you watch yeah. this movie in the future too. Oh yeah, and they do show Renton and Sick Boy doing like face swap too. So oh god, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to assume you're giving it a binge it because it's pick of the week. Binge it. Uh, and it's rated R for drug use, language throughout, strong sexual content, graphic nudity, and some violence. And that brings us to movie number two, which is Life. Astronauts aboard the International Space Station are on the cutting edge of one of the most important discoveries in human history. The first evidence of extraterrestrial life on Mars. As members of the crew conduct their research, 
the rapidly evolving life form proves far more intelligent and terrifying than anyone could have ever imagined. We're looking at a large single cell, biological. I'd hate to jump the gun, but I think it's time. We're looking at the first proof of life beyond Earth. You finally a daddy. It's gonna be a big custody battle over this one. It's <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. Space. The final frontier. Of handsomeness. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds in the same movie? What? Oh, and science. And, I mean, I guess. Um, is this a is this a, a rom-com? It is not a rom-com. Is it a um, buddy space movie it is a sci-fi horror film it's very oh. it is very decidedly in the on the horror end of the sci-fi spectrum oh yes so would you say that you have a lust for life <laughs> i have i have a i have a an apathy for life mm. i would say i would say i'd say I, I would say i would sing is that all there is in oh. response to the question of what i think about life not 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 much of a wow piece here okay yeah. Um, coming off the last big space movie was Arrival. Um, oh, how would God. you pair? How would you pair this against Arrival? Not even in the same galaxy. Oh! Oh! Um, Jason, what's a galaxy? Um, a, a, a thing with planets in it. <laughs> um, Go on. We live in the Milky Way, mm-hmm. right? What's your galactic address? Earth. <laughs> care of milky way <laughs> if you get lost in space and no one knows where to return you <laughs> like i don't help right in my underwear <laughs> trying to say like what is a sausage pizza in whatever alien language they speak <laughs> he keeps asking for a sausage pizza and we don't know where he lives i'm like it's less ingredients it should be real easy <laughs> um okay so yeah arrival Arri- uh, life, life. <laughs> no i want you to yeah, talk oh, yeah, about how yeah. they are mm-hmm. uh same you're like, this is all I got. Come on. Different. <laughs> you want another question? Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, you can't, answer, you can't answer this one? Um, I can try. I'll talk um, to the house. So, um, so how was it similar and different from Arrival? Well, Arrival was a drama, um, a female-driven drama that was beautifully shot and, and said really interesting things about life and how time moves and... And this is just a sci-fi horror movie that's basically like, don't try to learn new things, scientists. You'll get killed every time. Ah, um, so it's like, um, it's like the Angry Birds of 2001 Space Odyssey. You could say that. You could say that. It's also the movie that no one will remember when the next Alien movie comes out in two months. Oh, right. So there's that. Um, so it's definitely on like the more alien end of it um, mm-hmm. because, you know, anytime that there is a movie in space where astronauts are discovering a new thing, it's never a good new thing. Mm-mm. It's always a thing where they're like, oh, how exciting, and then it kills them. Mm-hmm. And that's this. So, you know, we have these this international um, uh, assembly of astronauts that are on the International Space Station, and they intercept this um, this collection of materials that were harvested from Mars. And what they're hoping to do is provide the first incontrovertible evidence of life from another planet, of extra of extraterrestrial life. So they like get this one little like amoeba and they have it under under a slide and they're like trying to like just jolt it and shock and do whatever they can just to make it like come to life and just like wiggle at them. 
and um, and eventually that works and there's much celebration and you know do, they do that thing where like back on earth there are like all these crowds standing around looking at tv screens like and, in times square standing, yes there's a giant scene in times square where like <laughs> some schoolgirl who won a contest gets to name the organism what does she name it calvin oh not taylor swift <laughs> Uh, not Xenu, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So they do that thing as it, and which it's it's cute to think that you know that that's the Americans still care that much about the space program, right? Although I believe I read that Trump has delegated funds to NASA to look into colonizing Mars. Um, this, oh, because he wants to do a, a, a Trump space tower. reality show. He wants to do a oh. Trump. I think he wants to do a Trump Tower on on Mars. I he, feel d- like... he just wants to colonize it. He wants to be like you know like I have the best Mars hotels. Uh, I still think a reality show would be where that's headed. That would be interesting, but I think he just wants to like he just wants to like have like a a, a Trump plaque like planted on the mm. surface of Mars, just like pronto, and then immediately melts. Yes, and also I'm sure he's thinking just like when was the last time Americans were really proud of their country? Yeah. Space program. It was also when we were in the middle of the Cold War. Right. So there's also that. <laughs> Everything old is new again. <laughs> you know, you would think it's weird they're having such no so much '90s nostalgia. Like, it's really, really it's, it's the really '60s, 60s it's late '60s that we're in right now. And actually, in the Bay Area, we're more on track with that because we're having the 50th anniversary of the Summer of Love we this are. year. We're having stuff for that all year. Mm-hmm. And rent's dropping. So we are, yeah, we are tracking. <laughs> Get with it, times. <laughs> um, so, uh, but anyway, so yeah, so they, they make this organism come to life. And, um, and then it grows very rapidly. And at first, it seems like this, like, very cute little sort of, like, it looks just like a little pile of, like, silken leaves, like petals. And, um, and it's sort of like, you know, like the scientist is there with his gloves on. It's kind of like wrapping around his finger. Aww. And they're like, oh, isn't that cute? Um, but then it starts to grow really quickly. And, um, and they're trying to explain its form. And they're like, it is, it's all muscle, all brain, and all eye. Which I believe is what your OK Cupid used it to say. It was, yeah. He was three descriptors and that was it. <laughs> So I was like, where do I know that from? That's so what that I was. should be getting a check in the mail when this movie launches. So, so it's just a little Rebecca in space. So what I'm saying is that you're a Martian and that the jig is up. I'll take it. So, uh, but then the thing is, so since it's all brain and all muscle and all eye. <laughs> Maybe I should have kids. <laughs> Uh, it really it figures things out real quick. Sure, <laughs> I was kind of hoping it was gonna be one of those scenarios where instead of it like actively tries to kill them, that it just keeps getting so big that it like <laughs> busts out of the space station you and see, they're all like crammed against the wall. See, that would be my OK Cube. <laughs> just, like, just 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 keeps getting bigger. Exponential growth. <laughs> just exponential growth, and eventually you just need to move to a bigger place. <laughs> I'll be pressed flush against the wall in no time. <laughs> um, so no, and, and it, it it acclimates very quickly and and in a suspiciously, I would say, over savvy manner. So it's in this in, in this you know this tank um, where it can't get out, and then um, and it, there's like this little sort of like um, scalpel that the scientist is trying to use to sort of like probe it, and then the thing somehow like get like so it it dispenses with the guy, it like breaks his hand, so he like falls out of it. And then it takes the scalpel and breaks it in half, and then it like crawls out into the glove and uses the scalpel to like dig a hole in it, and then it like you know what? like and then it gets out like that. So I'm like, 
I get it. It's all brain, but come on. <laughs> like this is, it's, it's like, it's like, is it MacGyver already? Is that like the natural form of alien life? It just made me think back to like, it's already like trolling on Twitter. Exactly. It's already like in the deep web. <laughs> um, and uh, it just made me think back to one of my favorite Roger Ebert reviews, which was of deep blue sea. Um, where he makes fun of the scene where LL Cool J hides from the shark in an oven and then the, the shark cleverly turns the oven on <laughs> <laughs> and, and turns the dial off. <laughs> like, how does that shark know how to do that? Um, so that's how I felt about this Martian, this little Martian creature. It just knows and um, and it, it, it just, for whatever reason, has this directive to just kill all of them. And I believe the explanation they give for that is that it thinks it needs to kill them all to like live. And um, mm. so there's about... 15 so the beginning of the movie is boring as fuck um then they lead up to that scene and then that kicks off about 15 or 20 solid minutes of just like quality oh shit uh (laughs) type viewing and uh you know and it it is it is it's surprisingly uh gory uh times like well it's not so much gory it's just gross like things like you know like people having like the the organism like just you know like sh- crawl into their mouth and shoot into their body and then they just like watch them gradually like be like you know sort of killed from the inside by this thing and then since there's no gravity you just see like the, like the blood comes out of their mouth and just like little like gulps and then just like floats away um so it's, it's like, like a lava lamp it is like a lava lamp that's right <laughs> see i have so many connections i wasn't quite making as like, rebecca's okay cupid lava lamps these are the inspirations for life um <laughs> so but then as with sort of a lot of these kinds of movies, um, once it establishes like, okay, so now we're going to watch it just like systematically kill them all except for like two. And then those people are going to be like trying to actively figure out how to like stop it. So then you're like, okay, I've seen this a million times. Right. Um, you know, and so then you just be, you're just going through the motions with it and it doesn't really do anything especially great with that yeah i mean the story is is nothing fresh um, no it is not um and there there are a few surprise things that happen in terms of like yeah there's there are surprises with the body count there are surprises there's a sort of a twist ending um but not really enough to redeem just how how just wrote the whole thing mm. is that's a shame yeah with so much uh handsome with face all, with all that handsomeness um are there any women in this movie <laughs> <laughs> there are um, no one especially famous. There is an actress, a British actress named Rebecca Ferguson, um, who, uh, who I, I don't know if I'll ever recognize. Um, I've seen her in a number of things now and she's a good actress, but I believe she was in like the last, she was in one of the Mission Impossible movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so she's sort of like the, the, the female lead of the film and she's fine. But here's the other thing about this movie is that it never makes you care about the characters like at all, not at all. Like you're mm-hmm. not interested, you're not invested um they're they're not identifiable or recognizable they have no personality ryan reynolds is the only one who has a personality and the personality he has is ryan reynolds yeah he can't help that no um so and he is just going full it's just like a, it's verging on self-parody yeah you know what worked so well in deadpool right exactly it's here, not deadpool in space yeah exactly you're like you know although this actually the the, the screenplay is credited to the guys who did write deadpool oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let me tell you this is no deadpool so there's no breaking the fourth wall nope no breaking the fourth wall. Um, walls are broken, but uh, and then the alien itself is like not really scary. It looks like a dragonfly with tentacles, mm, mm-hmm. and it's almost kind of funny. 
because it tends to like flatten itself against services and then sort of just like scurry along the surfaces. But, oh God. But, it, but, but since it doesn't really have like legs or a body, it's just like this blob just going like, <laughs> um, and you're it, like, maybe I should have kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As I, my, my clock started to tick <laughs> and then it'll just be like chasing things, you know, chasing the people through the different hallways and corridors. And there's always that thing of them just like turning, closing the door just in time. And then it just like splats against the door. <laughs> you can just effectively hear it muttering like a oh, motherfucker. <laughs> and then it, you know, goes back to it. Um, it also does this thing where, um, it tends to like wrap itself around anything that will like give it life. Like they have these oxygen sticks um, that they are using to like distract it at one point, and it sort of just like goes up to them one by one, and it just sort of like wraps around it. And just sort of like, uh, you know, it's sort of like rapturous embrace. Like it's like a bottle of wine or something. It's like, oh, I've been waiting for this. Um, so it's kind of yeah, it's 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 kind of unintentionally funny at times. The creature itself. That sounds amazing. That makes me want to see it. <laughs> Um, what are you giving this one? Um, I'm giving it a consume. Um, you know, like I, I frankly, I mean, I can't imagine a circumstance where I would tell people, no, you got to see this in theaters. Um, but you know, if you are a sci-fi fan, you know, we, we, you know, we have a good cast here. We have, you know, about, like I said, about 20 minutes of good scares, good intensity. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And, and just the fact that the overall message seems to be like, don't try to look and see if there's life on Mars. Or, you know, if there is, like, don't try to remove it. Right. Um, maybe that's the better message. Maybe that's the better message. Yeah. Don't colonize. Like, exactly. This is just like, it's Kong Skull Island all over again. Mm-hmm. So there you go. All right. Uh, life is rated R for language throughout some sci-fi violence and terror. And that brings us to our last movie of the week, which is Wilson. Rebecca saw this one. I did. Wish I didn't. M- much but to her I sure regret. did. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling lonely and isolated, Wilson tracks down Pippa, the ex-wife who left him 17 years earlier. She tells a neurotic and middle-aged misanthrope that he is the father of a teenager named Claire. Shocked, excited, and hopeful, Wilson embarks on a madcap quest to connect with a daughter he never knew he had. Remember when you were a kid? Every day seemed like it was in Technicolor. (laughs) And then you grow up. And you wonder... How did we end up like this? There's a lot of seats, you know, in this train. Um, so if that didn't make you hate this movie already, I don't know what will. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this movie. She is sputtering with rage, ladies um, and gentlemen. We saw a movie that was not at all funny. I did not laugh once. You laughed once, I think. And we were in a crowd of people that were just having oh, that's right. the best time. I don't even know. I don't know what happened. It was, but we kept looking at each other so confused. I have never in my life been more confused by an audience reaction than I was at that screening of this movie. There was one woman, and it was all women. There's one behind us, a woman in front of us, and a woman to our side, each of whom were just laughing uproariously for way too long. Mm hmm. At, at things that were not funny at in the slightest. Then that's what obsessed me about this movie the most is that there were plenty of opportunities where this movie, there were many opportunities mm-hmm. where this movie tried to be funny and failed over and over again. Yes. And and I think I may have gotten on to a bit of why because so this is based on a graphic novel by Daniel Clois, who mm-hmm. is a beloved um, you know, graphic novelist, Bay Area luminary, um, behind like Ghost World, right. Art School Confidential, our two previous works that were turned into films. And both I guess, of which I like. Both of which, yeah. I mean, Ghost World in particular being yes. one of the great all-time films. But um, I guess for this one, he decided to back off and not be involved with the film. He was like, for oh. once, I just want to write a screenplay and then just leave it. 
And so, and, and the person he left it to is a, a filmmaker named Craig Johnson, who, oh, it makes me so sad. Um, he made the movie The Skeleton Twins, which is one of my favorite movies of the last decade, starring Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, he that was him. He wrote and directed that movie, hmm. and or he directed it, and he he worked with the guy who who wrote the screenplay. Um, and so he this is his f- fault for lack of a better word. He took the screenplay and he gave it a happier ending, and I think he just wanted to make it into more of a crowd pleaser. So what he's done is he sort of drained, I think, the more kind of like cantankerous, the more authentically mm-hmm. itself version of the story. Yeah. And he's dressed it up in a way to make it crowd-pleasing. And this is this should not be crowd-pleasing. Like, the character should be like Paul Giamatti in Ghost World. You yeah, know, he exactly. Should, you know, he should be just like this sort of like, or I'm sorry, that was Steve Buscemi. That was Steve Buscemi, yeah. Uh, Paul Giamatti was... Yeah, the American art. Graffiti. Yeah. yeah. Um, it should be like Steve Buscemi in Ghost World. It should be, you know, somebody who's just like, is just an off-putting antisocial nerd. And, you know, and like, yeah. and, and with this one, with this character, Wilson, it's a little bit different because he, he is sort of like... He's a weird guy. Um, he is—he's desperately sort of in love with the world in his own way. He's really not—he's not introverted. No. Um, he is somebody who believes wholeheartedly in human communi- human communication. He l- thinks all people should be talking to each other all the time, including complete strangers. Because of this, he hates technology. So, wah, wah, here we are again. Mm-hmm. Um, complete raging technophobe. So this is the kind of person who will walk up to a cafe, see a man sitting there working on his laptop, sit down next to him, all open tables around, mm-hmm. um, and start talking to the guy and be like, hey, you know, like, where are you from? You know, what do your parents do? And the guy's like, I'm, I, and, I have to work and right the now. The guy's like, hey, he's like, well, hi, you know, yeah, you know, the guy's not a dick about it. The guy's no. like, he's like, oh, hey, I'm actually, I'm working on a thing right now. And then, and he then just Wilson, gets harassed. And Wilson's like, and he goes, hey, asshole, I'm talking to you. It's it is it is white male privilege personified. It is and so he's so rude and so offensive he's and so, so insistent. He just believes he's entitled to everything, every, every conversation person in the world. Exactly, he's, he's entitled to participate to participate in. He's entitled to make any person anywhere explain themselves to him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in, there's a guy sleeping on the train. He comes and sits next to him, starts talking to him. The guy is sleeping. Yeah. I mean, he has headphones in. And, you know, he starts asking about what he does and the guy's nice enough, tells him what he does. And then he just, he, he just berates him. He judges him. him for he judges him for what he answers. Uh, it's it, unbearable. But I think that you're right. If it would have had a more nuanced touch and, mm-hmm. and been done in a completely different way. But you're, they also try to make him funny and affable while also yeah. making him completely not likable. It's and that, that's a, yeah. where it takes a really sour turn. It's a movie that wants you to be laughing and also moved. And I was mm-hmm. neither. No. Because you like in order to think he's funny, you have to not think he's... Right. I don't know. Terrible. It it's, like yeah, it's a weird thing because they want you. They want him to be likable, but he's he. The movie is like in on the. The movie's kind of winking with him. The movie is kind of like it'd be one thing if it was like, whatever the right way to do this was. This movie doesn't do it basically. Right. Um. You don't want. You don't find him funny. And is Woody Harrelson playing it? So clearly, by casting Woody Harrelson, you're hoping the audience will be charmed by him because mm-hmm. he's a very he's a very charming mm-hmm. actor, and he does his best with this part. But it shouldn't have been Woody Harrelson. You know, it should have been somebody who really could just like have the courage of his conviction and just be unlikable and right. not not try to be like winking at the get audience. Paul like, Giamatti back in there. Yeah, exactly. Get Buscemi in there. <laughs> you know, like somebody who, you know, just doesn't do the wink. Like somebody who can be unlikable without winking to the audience mm-hmm. about it. And Woody Harrelson does the wink. Yeah. And um, so it's he does his best. I'm mad this movie for wasting Laura Dern. Yeah. Our national treasure, Laura Dern. 
the one good thing I'll say about her in this movie is, I mean, aside, I mean she's fine. She's there's nothing wrong with her performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but she plays a character that in a lot of ways reminded me of her character from Citizen Ruth. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I can imagine, which is one of my top ten of all time. Um, so oh, I so I can imagine like Ruth Stoops from Citizen Ruth, grown up later, is, is this woman. Yeah. So if you want to see Laura Dern play sort of like a hollowed out ex junkie again, <laughs> you can see her do that in this movie. Judy Greer also um, yeah. perennially underused. Judy Greer is in the film. Who just it, women just fall in love with him, which is another thing that makes no sense. Oh, I hate this movie. <laughs> I, be- I hate this movie. I be- this movie is like some sort of fantasy for terrible people. If you watch this movie and you find yourself relating to things that Wilson says and does, don't ever call me. You're a horrible person, and we don't want to know you at all. He makes he's he's like it's like it's a there are all these like anti-fat comments. Like I don't I haven't even seen a movie like blockbusters. Movies don't do that. And it would work if he was like legitimately disconnected. But mm-hmm. he, but you're right. So what do you, Harrelson thing that makes him like a normal person, right? Um, who's just an asshole, not someone who's like kind of off, you know, a little bit and doesn't understand the world, and mm-hmm. you would almost feel sympathy for. Yeah, you don't because he also is like charming and and you. Know, it's a yeah. terrible mix. Yeah, he's just like a, he's just like hawk-eyed optimist. Uh, and but, but seriously, like I, I'm surprised you're not talking more about like the white male privilege factor here. Because, I mean, you've already said it. Because, I, I mean, if Wilson, I can't say, I I don't know how to add on to that. That's exactly Wilson, what it is. If Wilson was any other variation other than that and was doing what he's doing in this movie, he would be like in jail. Yeah, <laughs> possibly yes. dead. Yes. Um, like he walks up to a man in at the urinals, mm-hmm. um, just in a completely empty urinal row, just sidles right up to this guy and just starts talking to him, and you know, which is is in. You know, this is something that men just don't do unless they're cruising. Mm-hmm. And I was actually hoping that the guy was going to, like, kind of, like, be like, oh, hey, you know, and, like, you know, give him a taste of his own medicine. Like, okay, sometimes you are going to go barking up the wrong tree. Right. And you're going to get something you didn't want. Um, but then it has a little little zinger at the end where Woody Harrelson is like, nice cock, uh, before he walks away. Um, but it's just, you're supposed to, we have no reason to care about this character at all. No. And that's the only reason that this movie would mean anything to you is if you're invested in the character of Wilson and you care about the fact that like, oh, he's so the whole thing in the beginning of the movie is that his 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 father passes away and then his only friends move away. And so he decides to look up his his first wife and then he finds out that he has a teenage daughter who's been um, given up to adoption. So uh, that's the whole. But we don't care because he's just a fucking asshole. So you're like, I don't care what happens to the no, asshole. It does not matter. Good things happen, bad things happen. It, it could not make a lick of difference. Yeah. And then they get into the, so they get into the story where they they're trying to find this uh, daughter that was given up for adoption, and also that's kind of where the story stops progressing. After that, it's a, it's just back and forth between let's keep following her. No, we shouldn't. Let's keep following her. No, we shouldn't. She likes us. She does like I, that part of the story. Oh, it gets so uneven. Is so, so yeah. boring. Ugh. Nothing happens. Yeah. It's, it's very uneven. And then there's like a weird thing where suddenly there's like a lengthy jail stint and you're like, How, what even is this movie? You no. know, it's just like the, the timeline of it makes no sense. The arc of it makes no sense. And the, the actress who plays the daughter is terrible. Oh, you didn't like her? I did not like her. I didn't, she didn't sell anything for me, especially when uh-huh. the, you know, there's a part where she, after she comes out of jail, she's a little bit older. And oh, I just thought the yeah. acting was, was oh. very amateurish. Yeah. Um, Cheryl Hines is in the movie too, playing Lord Dern. And lots of great actors are sort of wasted in it's this movie. It's a total waste. Uh, and uh, and it's just, yeah, you just you just don't care. You just don't care. Mm-mm. And, you know, so I think that I think that we're saying it when we're saying that it should have just been done like Ghost World. It should have been done the way Terry Zwagoff directed Ghost World. It should have made you feel uncomfortable and yeah. just uncomfortable. Yeah, it should have just been, it should have had the courage of its convictions to let the character be unlikable and not have, not keep winking at you like, oh, there's something redeeming about him mm-hmm. though. Because it seems like there genuinely isn't. No. 
Um, so yeah. I'm giving this one a hard send it back. Yeah, me too. I believe you said that, what movie would you rather watch again before you'd watch this? Oh, what was it? 13 Hours. Oh, I did. I said I'd rather watch 13 Hours again. At yeah. least that was exciting and the story was, yeah. it made sense and those characters yeah. were a lot more likable. Mm-hmm. And I will say that this movie made me appreciate Fences more. Because <laughs> that was also a movie where I'm just like, he's an asshole. I don't care. Right. Um, but clearly compared to Wilson. Yeah. I would take you care. I would take Fences. Um, so it's rated R for language throughout and some sexuality and it's rated send it back from us yes um and that's it that's it thank you so much for listening uh be sure to to, uh subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and um you can find jason on twitter at excess faggot and i'm at fight balance thank you so much for listening bye guys bye-bye binging on movies with rebecca and jason you made it to the end that's amazing there There goes goes the the binge. binge